Hey, Vancouverites, what are you doing on the evening of May 4th, 2014? Nothing, you say? Oh, good. Then you can join Kevin, Joe, Torin, Ian Boothby, Joanna Gaskell, Eric Fell, Dino Archie, and Ben Mills for an epic night of Caustic Soda's Lesser of Two Evils Marathon live. It's all happening at Seven Dining Lounge at 53 West Broadway, Vancouver. Head on over to causticsodapodcast.com and click on the link. Yeah, the link that says Lesser of Two Evils Marathon. That'll take you to more information and the opportunity to buy a ticket in advance. It's 10 Canadian dollars. Do it. You won't regret it. He had a three and a half inch floppy. Maybe that was his problem. I'm Kevin Leeson. If you really want to wear a dead woman's bra, just go to the Salvation Army. I'm Joe Fulgham. BTK really puts the cereal in Serial Killer. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda. Evil Dudes in History, Dennis BTK Raider. So we're going to talk about that guy from Mortal Kombat? Got the lightning bolts and the oh, Chinese that was, that was Ray Din. Ray Din. Oh. Not Raider. You're thinking of Tomb Raider. Lord Lara Croft. No, I was thinking of the guy from Mortal Kombat. Oh, You're well, thinking of Tomb Raider. Joe, what were you thinking of? I was thinking of Dennis Raider, R-A-D-E-R, Bind, Torture, Kill, the American serial killer. The BTK, which is the most popular sandwich at Burger King? Uh, <laughs> The bacon, tomato, and, and kill, and, and kale, <laughs> and kale. <laughs> the least popular sandwich in Burger oh, King. Yeah. Oh no, man, it's low carb. <laughs> Born in 1945, grew up in Wichita, Kansas. He developed fantasies about bondage, control, and torture from an early age while still in grade school. Uh huh. He dreamed of tying girls up and having his way with them. The Mouseketeer Annette Funicello was one of his favorite targets for imaginary bondage. God. That's well, weird. I believe when you're born in 1945, I guess you're not a Ginger or Marianne guy, right? You're uh which Musketeer was it? It was either an Edward Chandler or Frankie Avalon, right? You know? So he's showing his preference. He killed cats and dogs by hanging them. Yeah, see, isn't that that's kind of a classic red flag, as they right. say, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know? Killing animals. Strangling them to death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, and he had a sexual fetish for women's underwear. So maybe you like to put cats and dogs in women's underwear. And does does anybody else remember like kind of whacked out fetishes when, when you were in grade school? Like I was just happy to be here, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I there was no, I wasn't stealing women's underwear. Yeah. I wasn't strangling anything. I, I like to pretend. I like to pull the sheets over my head and pretend I was like deep under the earth and I was like a monster that was going to try and resurface from the earth. And did that give you a boner? Was that... No, it didn't give me a boner. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So what you're saying <laughs> is you were, was cool. your fantasies were completely asexual. <laughs> they, were mo- they were monstrous instead of sexual. That answers, that answers a lot of questions on that front, too. Uh, yeah, I... Th- That's I why had... I have to dress up in a Godzilla costume whenever I want to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, so you're, you're not a furry, you're a scaly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, but the advantage is that uh, Deanna does have a very excellent Tokyo costume to go with it. <laughs> I just laid waste to Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> he spent four years in the United States Air Force. He attained the rank of sergeant and worked on the installation of antenna equipment. Upon discharge, he worked for a time in the meat department of an IGA supermarket alongside his mother, who was bookkeeper for the store. All right, okay, the book, yeah, the, the bookkeeping in the meat department. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
Rader attended Butler County Community College, earning an associate degree in electronics in 1973. Mm-hmm. He began studies at Wichita State University, but it would take him six years at night school to earn his degree. A, That's a long time. A poor student. I would <laughs> you either I mean when you take six years to complete a degree in anything, that is uh it's indicative of one thing or the other. Either you're mm-hmm. You're very, very good at doctoring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or lawyering. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But poor at everything else. <laughs> uh, a poor student, a chronic C- minus or D level, he couldn't spell and had unusually bad written grammar. Yeah. He may have had a learning disability. Yeah. yeah sounds like it. Kind of a uh, dead giveaway. In late 1973, he briefly worked for Cessna, the aircraft manufacturer, but was fired. It was at this point that he found himself unemployed, unhappy with his lot in life, with time on his hands. He slipped deeper into the fantasy world he had known since childhood and wanted to know what would it feel like to strangle someone to death. See, this is where World of Warcraft would have possibly saved some lives. If his fantasy yeah. world involved uh, orcs and trolls, he might have just, you know, gotten into cosplay. See, here's the thing. I think all of us at some point in time in our life have had various stages of unemployment, I would imagine. And mm-hmm. I don't remember sitting on my I thought you were going to say various stages of wanting to strangle people. Yeah, well, I mean, this is one, one thing leads to another. I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time sitting on my couch at times. Uh, and never once did I sit there and muse to myself, what would it be like to strangle someone to death? Oh, you don't know? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to sit on the other side of the table for go from now on. <laughs> His wife worked at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Wichita and didn't like driving in snow and ice, so Dennis would sometimes drive her to and from work. It was at this time he would spend much of his free time trolling, quote-unquote. So he's uh, hey, like, like what you do on the internet. Hey, mm. honey, I'll, I'll do a nice thing. I'll take you. To, I'll drive you to work every day because I got nothing else going on. I'm unemployed, uh, and then he would use that time to troll. He would drive. So he liked those like little dolls with the poofy hair. Yeah, he'd do yeah, a lot he'd of trolling. Go, he'd look go to go to garage sales and look for those those dolls. Going trolling, huh? Yeah, he, he would make people believe things that weren't true and mm-hmm. think that that was funny. Uh-huh. That's trolling. He made a bunch of people believe that he wasn't looking for people to kill. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Driving or walking around neighborhoods or school campuses where there would be women to observe. He would focus in on a good prospect, quote-unquote, and fantasize about bondage, torture, and death, imagining what he would do to her. Bind them, torture them, kill them. BTK. All right. There you go. It's all in the name. Mm. Raider briefly worked as an assembler for Coleman Camping Gear, and then from 1974 until 1988, he worked at an ADT Security Services, a home security company. He installed alarms. Ironically, many of his clients had security systems installed to t- stop BTK from ever entering the homes, unaware that BTK had installed those alarm systems. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sort of, you know, lends the idea that uh, maybe that's uh, gave him plenty of opportunity to figure out how best to gain access to homes. I'm sure he got a thrill out of it as well. Yeah. You know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, joke's yeah. on you. But don't worry, this will keep the BTK guy out. Yeah. Rader was the president of the Christ Lutheran Church's Congregation Council. Oh, okay. Wow. Good church going there. Not bad for a guy with a learning disability and can't spell. <laughs> he was also a Cub Scout leader. Oh. Oh, boy. All right. Rader was a census field operations supervisor for the Wichita area in 1989 prior to the 1990 federal census. He then became a dog catcher and supervisor for the compliance department of Park City. Neighbors recalled him as sometimes overzealous and extremely strict. One neighbor complained that he euthanized her dog for no reason. I guess maybe he just took dog catcher too literally. Like he's just like, I'm, it's my com- job to catch dogs. Is complain the right word for that? 
complain. <laughs> hey, like I don't. If somebody killed my dog for no reason, like euthanize, I, I put your dog to sleep because yep. I'm the dog catcher. Mm-hmm. I don't think complain would be the right way to describe my reaction. That, what yep. would you do? Uh, do a rage? I, I would. Yeah, I would. I would fucking lose my shit. That guy would lose his job. Uh, there would be some lawsuits going on. Mm. Complain. I guess uh, in Wichita. The dog catchers had a little bit more immunity than that. On March 2nd, 2005, the Park City Council terminated Raiders' employment for failure to report to work or to call in, not realizing he'd been arrested for murder <laughs> five days earlier. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> hey, he hasn't shown up for work in a week. So well, let's terminate that guy's contract. It's okay. Oh, hey, who's that on the news? <laughs> so uh, what were those murders? Let's hear about it. In January of 1974, Raider devised a plan. He gathered together a hit kit. A hit kit. Consisting of a gun, cords, knives, and various tools for breaking and entering. We've all got one of these, right? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. my hit kit involves, like, you know, all the music that I like. <laughs> yes. My hit kit involves a lot of acid. Oh, nice. That's a, I did not know that about you. Yeah. Oh, you're saving, right now, saving up for a rainy day. Uh, he observed the Otero house, getting an idea of what their daily schedule was like. And on the morning of January 15th at 8 a.m., he snuck into the yard and cut the phone line. The Otero house? Otero. O-T-E-R-O. Okay. This is the family. This is a family. This is a family. Uh, he barged in through the back door. The man of the house, Joe Otero, 38, was home, as were Julie, his wife, and two children, Josephine and Joey, as oh, well wow. as their dog. Bold. At Everyone's gunpoint, home. Yeah, lots of people are home, that's for sure. At gunpoint, Raider ordered Joey to put the dog in the backyard. He told the family he was a wanted criminal and needed money, food, and a car to escape. Oh. Okay. Interesting story. Joe asked him if this was some kind of joke set up by his brother-in-law. <laughs> oh, that brother-in-law. Damn. Oh, Tim. Oh, send a homeless man with a gun into your home and like terrorize, terrorize your, family. your family. That brother-in-law really hates me. Wow, his brother-in-law must have been an asshole. <laughs> well, uh, the guy was known to troll around the neighborhood, so maybe he was just trolling with this. Uh-huh. Uh, I fooled you into thinking I was attacking you in mm-hmm. your house. At first, Raider ordered everyone to lie down in the living room, then changed his mind and sent them all into a bedroom and tied them up. Raider put a bag over Joe's head, but oh. Joe fought back, tearing holes in the bag. So Raider had to fashion a ligature Ooh. out of some of the cord he brought with him and strangled him to death. In his hit kit. Yes. Yeah. Right. This little... Yeah. He attempted to manually strangle Julie, but to his surprise... That means by hand. It does indeed. Mm. To his surprise, it took considerably longer and much more effort to strangle someone than it did in the movies. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Interesting so, tip. I would like to believe that he said to himself, if Hollywood has taught me anything, this should take about 10 seconds. Right. It shouldn't be too much bother. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. What I thought you were going to say was, to his surprise, she was wearing a neck brace. <laughs> oh, okay. The, but the anti-BTK kit yeah. before BTK was him. Oh, uh, just from a previous neck injury. Just, just she, by yeah. circumstance. She whiplash. She got uh-huh. whiplash the day uh-huh. before, and she was in a neck brace. Uh, Julie passed out, but revived after a short time. Oh. She begged Raider not to kill her children and told him, God have mercy on your soul. Oh, well, that'll help. The second strangulation attempt finally worked. And Julie was dead. Raider took nine-year-old Joey into his bedroom, uh, put a bag over his head, and suffocated him to death. Joey rolled off the bed and died face down on the bedroom floor. Raider brought a chair into the bedroom and sat to, sat at the end of the bed to watch the boy die. Yeah. As he, uh, you know... Had mm. a sealed bag around his neck and yeah. right, suffocated. Right. After a failed attempt at strangulation of 11-year-old Josie, she revived. Raider took her down to the basement, put a noose around her neck, and informed her she would be going to heaven to join the others. 
He asked her where their camera was, but she said they didn't have one. Josie was hanged from a sewer pipe in the basement, partially disrobed. Rado then masturbated over her bare legs. Oh. Uh, Afterwards, he took Joe's watch and small radio. He got into their Oldsmobile station wagon, backed out onto Murdoch Street, and nearly had a collision with an oncoming vehicle. A narrow miss. How things would have changed. It would have been a very different world. Yeah. So they wouldn't have had a BTK, because I'm sure this would have led to some sort of investigation that would have led to his uh, apprehension. Raider drove to a nearby supermarket and parked the car. Raider had no idea that the Ateros had three other children, all of whom had left for school before his arrival. Oh, wow. Charlie, 15, Daniel, 14, and Carmen, 13. Jesus Christ. Who were the, who were the ones who found their parents dead when they arrived home from school that afternoon? Okay. So they had 15, 14, 13, 12, and 9. Five children. Yeah. Over the course of six years. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's a womb with a view. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think there's room for improvement. <laughs> By having less children? Well, less victims for BTK. Yeah, exactly. would have been the silver lining of that one. So that was a death toll of four people? That was four people. That was four victims. So, of course, uh, now one of the things that BTK became known for was his avid letter writing. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. For a guy who can't spell. Yeah, and, uh, and actually when you read... Some of the uh, quotes from some of these letters, mm-hmm. uh, they actually thought early on that he was purposefully writing with bad grammar and bad right, spelling. To throw them off. To throw them off. Oh. And then it sort of became clear that this is actually kind of how he writes. Right. Uh, in October 1974, Raider stashed a letter inside an engineering book at the Wichita Public Library that described in detail that's the a, killing of the Otero family. That's a weird place to put that letter. In an engineering book? You just want some random student to find it. Which book do you think it should have been in? Should it have been in, like, a book about killers? If this is the Riddler, then you send it to the Batman. Oh, yeah? You don't leave it in some random book in the library. No, you leave it in a book in the library on bats. That's what you do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, make him solve a riddle to find the letter. To find the letter. Uh Uh-huh. The letter ended up with a local newspaper, and the poorly written note gave authorities some idea of who they were dealing with. Rader wrote, oh... What voice should Raider be? Somebody dumb. Mm-hmm. Just do a dumb voice. Duh. Well, he's from, do someone from uh, Wichita. Oh, a Kansas accent. <laughs> so, do, Dor- do Dorothy. So you know Scottish. <laughs> uh, it's hard to control myself. <laughs> it's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang up. He went on to describe the urge to kill as a monster inside of him, but he clearly wanted to control his image. He requested in this letter to be called the BTK Strangler, explaining that BTK stands for Bind Them, Torture Them, Kill Them. Interesting. Hmm. In April 1974, Raider was stalking a woman named Catherine Bright. She was 21. Okay. That's younger than uh, the Otero parents. But older than their children, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Kevin I, I think, is good with numbers, so de- he's. I think his goal is to kill split the everyone of every age, every conceivable age. All right, yeah, That's right. probably not too far from the truth. He has a bingo card with a bunch of age numbers right. on it. Oh, on April fourth, he broke into her home via the back porch door and hid in a bedroom. Around two p.m., Catherine arrived home with her nineteen-year-old brother Kevin. Catherine and Kevin. Yeah. Okay. Double case. Yeah. Uh-huh. Raider emerged from the bedroom with a gun. He recited the same story he had told the Oteros. He was a wanted criminal from California on his way to New York. Mm-hmm. He needed to car and money. Raider forced the two of them into a bedroom where Catherine was tied up by Kevin at gunpoint. Okay. So, so tie up your sister. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do a good job this time. This time? 
<laughs> he attempted to tie Kevin up in another room, but he hadn't brought his best hit kit. Oh, he's got different hit kits. I guess so. And had to improvise from materials found in the home. Kevin worked his way loose and got into a vicious fight with Raider, nearly succeeding in taking the gun from him. Ooh. Oh, yes. Yeah, so this moment where they're like wrestling over the gun. If Hollywood has taught me anything, when you, two people wrestle over a gun, somebody gets shot. Yep. Hmm. Actually, logic kind of dictates that as although, well. That's not just Hollywood. Although in Hollywood, the gun is always down at the belly height, and you don't know who got shot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Until so, someone falls over. So is that what happened? Or brings their bloody hand up. <laughs> so is that what shot. happened? Somebody got shot in the belly? Uh, Raider got off a shot that hit Kevin in the face. Oh, that's oh, different. Fucking Hollywood. You know who shot then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was that guy still, with the hole in his face. Still fighting. Kevin attempted to overpower oh, Raider. Wait. But got- Wait. Kevin got shot in the face and kept fighting? Sure. Why not? This dude is awesome. His sister's tied up in the bedroom next to him. This supports my yeah. theory that all Kevins are awesome. Proceed. <laughs> right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but got shot. But Kevin got shot a second time in the head. Oh. Kevin appeared them. to be dead or dying, so Raider turned his attention to Catherine. Okay. A lot of bullets going off in this house. Yeah. She I think also, a neighbor would have like. Yeah. You know. That's what I'm thinking. Um, maybe, maybe, but Wichita is like kind of a Midwest town. Maybe it's one of those things that this is back in the seventies. All the yards were so huge, right? Because like land was plentiful right, and cheap right. that like you know nobody would know what was happening in their neighbor's house. Just a car backfiring. Yeah, a tractor backfiring. Catherine also fought. Catherine also fought back. So in order to end it quickly, Raider switched from strangulation to stabbing. Ah, cutting her primarily in the abdomen. Meanwhile, Kevin had revived. What? This guy, two bullets in the head. Two bullets in the head. Wow. Revived and ran out of the house screaming for help. Okay, this guy is awesome. Raider had to make a hasty exit and ran from the scene on foot to where his car was parked and drove away. All right. Okay. Catherine died in the hospital a few hours later while in surgery despite urgent attempts to save her life. With his head wounds, Kevin was left in critical condition but survived. Wow. He never saw his sister's body and didn't even learn of her death until several days after the attacks. On uh, March 17th, 1977, so a couple years later, three years later, in fact, uh, Raider decided it was time for another murder. He had met a woman named Cheryl in a bar. She was renting a house with another woman and often had parties there. Raider found out where she lived and decided it would be a go, meaning that he was definitely going to make a hit. Fortunately for Cheryl and her friends, no one was home when Raider came around that day. Raider would later state that he also cased another home in the neighborhood, but no one was there either. So, he continued trolling on foot and encountered a five-year-old boy. Oh, no. He pulled out a photo of his own family, his wife and son, and asked the boy if he knew who they were. The boy said he didn't and then proceeded on home. Raider followed him there, knocked on the door, and posing as a detective, the boy led him into the house. Oh. Uh, There were three children in home, including the five-year-old boy, an eight-year-old brother, and a four-year-old sister. Raider turned off the television and lowered the blinds. At this point, the mother, Shirley Vian, 24 years old, emerged in her bathrobe and demanded to know what was going on. At gunpoint, Raider ordered all the children into the bathroom where he blockaded them in, and then he told Shirley he was going to tie her up and rape her. Raider got her a glass of water after she threw up at this announcement. Oh. And allowed her to have a smoke to calm her nerves. Interesting. Raider then tied her up as promised. It's kind of like, you know, before the execution sort of thing. Feels like, you right. know, that cigarette before you put the blindfold on right. and take her down. Right. Raider tied her up as promised, but then strangled her to death with a cord around her neck. He left semen on panties found next to the body and was gone before the children could break out of the bathroom to summon help. So is he just jacking off on the panties? 
Is that it's, what's happening? It sounds here? like on the bodies. Yeah, yeah and then we'll clean themselves up on the, with the panties. Grody. Yeah. yeah, this guy. You know what? I think you're right, Torn. I think this guy's Grody. Yeah, <laughs> he's, I uh, agree with you 100. You say he's an evil dude. <laughs> he firmly fits yeah. under the umbrella of evil dude in history for yeah. sure. Evidently, he left because he was unnerved when the telephone rang, which caused him to leave before he could kill the children as he'd originally. Always oh, got a phobia of phones. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess like that, that, you know, back in the 70s, those phones, they did ring very loud. Yes. Yeah. Right? True. You know? Especially if you're in mid-jack. Yeah. You're, you're like, ah, what the, ah. And answering machines are not that common. Not in, the, seven, not in uh, 77, no. But, uh, you know, people would phone, and if there was no answer, they would, like, come over, because there was obviously something wrong, because she was a housewife right. with mm. three kids. Right. Somebody should be home. Yeah. That's maybe what he was thinking. Just picked up. Yes, Hello. <laughs> oh, it pretended to be her? Or, the, or one of the kids. <laughs> That's your kid voice? I'm a dumb kid. <laughs> My name is Robbie or something. I don't know. So those three children uh, actually dodged a bullet. They weren't killed because... Well, they dodged a strangling, but yeah. yeah. Or a bullet. He had a gun. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The phone rang. He got spooked. Yep. Ran right away. On. The kids are there with her. The kids with, survived. With, uh, with one dead mother. With one dead mother. Okay. In December 1977, Raider became fixated on and stalked Nancy Fox, 25. On the evening of December 8th, he cut the phone line and broke into her duplex via a rear bedroom window. Uh, the initial confrontation took place in the kitchen at gunpoint. Raider told her that he had a sexual issue and needed to tie her up to rape her. That's an issue. Nancy did not fight back. Yeah, I think the whole like raping is a sexual issue in and of itself. I would say that's Without a definite even issue. throwing in the tying them up into the equation. He ordered her into the bedroom after, partially disro- after she partially disrobed in the bathroom. Raider tied her to the bed and undressed himself. At this point, he announced who he really was, made it clear he was the same person who had killed the Oteros, and proceeded to strangle her to death with a ligature. What's so, a ligature? It's a, a, anything uh, that you can bind and tie and, and squeeze, like tighten around somebody. It's a cord yeah. that's used to tie things up. Okay. Uh, so obviously, you know, he had this moment where he wanted that kind of look of terror on her right. face, knowing that she yes. was in the presence of a mass murderer, you know, got some kind of cheap thrill out of that. Yeah, de- definitely his ego is involved here. He wants them to be afraid of him specifically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he leaves letters in books at libraries to be yeah. discovered and, uh, you know, he, he's got an ego for sure. Yeah. He's a fucking loser. And this is what he wants to feel like not a loser. Uh, He left semen deposited on a nightgown next to the body, and Fox's driver's license was missing from the scene. The following morning, after reporting to work at ADT and leaving the office in a company van, Raider called a police dispatcher from a phone booth only a couple blocks from his office and said, You will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing. Nancy Fox, that is correct, and left the receiver dangling. Ooh, dangling. Police That's rushed also to dramatic. Yeah, it's very dramatic. Police rushed to the residence and found the lifeless body still lying on the bed, the head badly swollen. A tape recording of that call was eventually played repeatedly over and over in the Wichita media, but no one, including Raiders coworkers or family, was able to recognize the voice. Interesting. It was at this time authorities. Because he was doing a Kevin Leeson uh, <laughs> Scottish person accent. Well, I think he did modulate. I think he kind of went up a couple of octaves to like leave this message. Yes, you will find a homicide at eight forty three South Pershing. <laughs> That's what he did. Yeah, we call that pulling a Kevin. That's right. 
Uh, it was at this time authorities decided to publicly announce that Wichita had a serial killer on the loose and citizens were urged to be extra careful. A whole generation of women grew up in Wichita routinely checking their phones for a dial tone whenever re-entering their homes to make sure the phone line had not been cut by an right. intruder. Wow. Uh, BTK at this time wrote another letter on February 10th, this is the 1978. Second this is the second one. He wrote it and sent it to a local television station, K-A-K-E. See, that's what that's... If I'm if I'm a serial killer, <laughs> oh really? Okay, this who is wants to buff up my own ego. Yeah, mm. I don't send it to the library. I send it to the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, maybe he, he was learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in uh, <laughs> we we had it's like he. I wrote this letter. I don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> I'll go to the library. It's twelve thirty. I'll pick up some. I'll just leave it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, he doesn't have the 2020 hindsight that we have yeah. to know the proper way to advertise Deliver your serial killing. Yeah. Uh, in this letter, he said, How many do I have to kill before I get my name in the paper or some national attention? Wow. In his latest letter, the Strangler claimed to have murdered seven victims, naming Nancy Joe Fox as the latest. Number seven remained nameless, but investigators assumed the unnamed victim was Catherine Bright. In addition to these claims, the killer blamed his crimes on... A demon. Oh. And something he called Factor X. Factor X. Uh-huh. Not to be confused with X Factor. The X the, Factor. Uh, mm-hmm. the superhero team, team from yeah. Marvel. No, they, they, this is 1978. X Factor hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. Uh, he compared his work with that of Jack the Ripper, the Hillside Stranglers, and Son of Sam. Included in this second letter was a po- poem entitled Oh, Death to Nancy, <laughs> a play on the lyrics of the American folk song Oh, Death. As well, he suggested alternate names for himself. The Poetic Strangler. Uh-huh. The Bondage Strangler. Bondage Strangler. Yeah. Yeah. The what? Wichita Hangman. The Wichita Executioner. The Garot Fathom, as opposed to Phantom. <laughs> right, because he can't spell. Yeah. And The Asphyxiator. I would prefer if he was called the Garot Fathom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the asphyxiator does sound like a real old school villain. Like yeah, it, does it does sound something from the kind of the EC era, yeah. you know, 1920s, the asphyxiator. And this really does inform us of how supervillains should be portrayed as pathetic losers mm-hmm. dressing up in costumes to try and get some kind of recognition. He, uh, it was this letter that he fashioned a, a distinctive signature for himself. So that the police would know what a, uh, a, what was an official BTK right. letter. Not those knockoffs. Yeah. So we've got a picture of this that we'll put on the website, CausticSodaPodcast.com. Collect all 12. It, it, see, I look at this signature, and I mean, maybe this says more about me than about uh, uh, a bloodthirsty serial killer. I think I know what you're going to say, though. They look like boobs to me. Yeah. The, the it looks like boobs. It looks like boobs and a penis. He, yeah. Yeah. He put, he put the dots in the B. Yeah. You're totally right. It looks like boobs and a penis. Yeah. In April 1979, Raider broke into the home of Anna Williams, a 63-year-old widow. Oh, that's that's climbing the age ladder, yeah. seriously. Who had recently lost her husband. Uh-huh. He waited fruitlessly for Anna to come home, and when she never came home, Raider pilfered a few small items and left. Yeah, he needed okay. something to snack on because yeah. he waited fruitlessly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wanted some fruit. <laughs> He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I've been waiting here orange. all day. Yeah. This banana's a little overripe. I mm-hmm. need some food energy, and there's no fruit here for me. Or he strangled a watermelon? <laughs> put a bag just put a bag over it yeah strangled some oranges just had orange juice yeah i wonder that's a good point like in his normal like home life do you think that after he was discovered that uh you know that that his wife and children would look back and go 
Oh yeah, he really, you know, did... Ra- really wrapped everything really tightly, tightly in Ziploc yeah. bags yeah. in the fridge. That's right. Everything was real vacuum packed. In June, Anna, this old lady, okay, received a package in the mail with a poem entitled "Oh Anna, Why Didn't You Appear?" So, this is so now months, he's like mocking his yeah. prospective victim. A drawing of what Ritter had intended to do to her and a few of the things he had stolen. Oh, good to prove that he's he like, been I there. was here. Yeah. I was putting bags under your fruit. The next day, a similar package arrived at the studios of K A K E TV uh, or Cake TV. Uh, oh, which the is tasty, the tastiest of all TVs. TV. Or maybe it's pronounced Cocky TV. Cocky TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if somebody doesn't like them, what would they be? They'd say boo, cocky. <laughs> I was going to say cockamamie. <laughs> Anna was terrified and quickly moved away from Wichita. Yeah. Good too. idea. Yeah. Uh, really would, good yes, idea. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know what? I mean, I'm sure Wichita is lovely, <laughs> but they, it would take a lot. It, Wichita would have to be like a land of gold and honey for you to stay after receiving a letter like that. In July of 1984, investigators set up a task force nicknamed the Ghostbusters. Oh, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> Why? I believe it was 1984 that Ghostbusters y- came out. Was yeah, it yeah. So they they just seen the ghost. Yeah. Oh. Let's call ourselves Ghostbusters. Yeah, but you guys aren't busting ghosts. This will be cool. <laughs> and hired a computer consultant. <laughs> oh, in, that'll help. <laughs> in an attempt to discover the identity of BTK. Oh, boy. 1984 computer consultant. Well, you needed a consultant because the computer was probably the size of this room, right? Uh, here's here's the disk drive. You put the floppy in here. Oh, no. They had one of those. Uh, they did the audio tape drive. Oh, there you go. <laughs> They assembled a massive collection of DNA and entered their data into a computer. The Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. who are you going to call, <laughs> task force, discovered some promising evidence. Ectoplasm? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, they, they had some kind of uh, uh, fluid <laughs> yeah, from the crime scene. Some kind of plasm. Yeah. Uh-huh. The revelation that all of the murders occurred within three and a half miles of one another. Ooh. Investigators believe the BTK only felt comfortable killing in areas that were familiar to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Investigators took the February 10th, 1978 BTK letter to Xerox headquarters in Syracuse, New York. A lab tech concluded that the letter was a fifth generation copy of the original, but the machine used to generate the copy was located in the Wichita State University Library. Wow. All right. That is some pretty good investigation. I was about to uh, say, uh, like, that's pretty awesome that you can actually, Xerox could figure out where exactly what machine it came from. Mm-hmm. Although they probably said, okay, it's from Wichita somewhere. So that narrows it down. There might have only been like three Xerox machines in all of Wichita at the time. I wonder how you do that. Do you think like when you print something out, if you magnify it really, really <laughs> extremely, yeah. all the ink is actually like, this came from the state. There's probably kind of a fingerprint of the roller yeah. that's applying the yeah. toner. And as long as they could compare it, right? But so honestly, if they had truly, if they had samples from different photocopy machines, because, then they could say it's from this one. Because that letter was from 1978. Yeah. So there probably was, in 1978 in Wichita, Kansas, there probably were like maybe five Xeroxes in the, all of Wichita. They were public, yeah. Yeah, and so they probably to. just went around and made a copy in like the five copiers that were right. around in 1978 and then took them in and they matched it up. And That's especially since since he was from within three and a half miles, yeah. like they were all close together, they only had to look for a certain yeah. area for, yeah. So, yeah. But still, good police work. That's mm-hmm. good. That's a good time. The Shirley Vion poem was patterned after a Curly Locks nursery rhyme that had only just appeared in Games, a puzzle magazine. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
at the time the letter was written. Investigators obtained a list of all the subscribers to the magazine in question, but that didn't lead anywhere. Okay, so he probably was like at the dentist's office and saw it or something like that. Didn't necessarily have to be a magazine subscriber. The Fox poem titled Oh Death to Nancy Uh had been patterned after a poem entitled Oh Death, which had been published in a Wichita State University textbook and had been used as an American folklore class. In an American folklore class, investigators obtained a copy of the class roster, but didn't lead them to Raider. All right. Okay. This is some pretty good investigation, though. Yeah, they're doing all the right I, things, I it seems like. some good work. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who the hell this guy is. So, you know. Marine Hedge, 53, was a widowed neighbor who lived on the same street as the Raiders. She was a petite, friendly woman, mother of four grown children who had lost her husband, Thomas, in the past year. Mm-hmm. On the weekend of April 27, 1985, Raider was attending a Boy Scout camp just outside of Wichita. Oh, that, nothing could go wrong there. No. He left camp in the evening with the pretext of having a headache and needing to get to town to buy something for it. Okay. He parked his car by a bowling alley and bought himself a beer. He swished the liquid in his mouth and spit it out and also deliberately got some beer in his clothing so he would have a smell like he had been drinking. Okay. Okay. A little uh, boozy alibi right on the gate. I'm too drunk to drive. Calling a cab, he pretended to be drunk and instructed the driver to take him to a park so he could walk it off before arriving home. The park adjoined the backyard of the Hedge property. Uh, He cut the phone line, pried open a rear door using a screwdriver, and hid in a bedroom closet. Marine Hedge and a friend, Gerald Porter, entered. Gerald finally left around 1 a.m., and Raider waited until Marine had fallen asleep. Oh, so I guess she was getting some from her friend there. Yeah, well, she's 63, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, maybe uh, certainly some male companion. Some male companion. Oh, 53, sorry. 53, so she's still, uh, yeah. Yeah, Still uh, active. And her husband passed. She's lonely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe she doesn't see him that way, but he is uh, pressing yeah. his advantage. And the whole time she's like, listen, you should really go. It's almost yeah. 1 a.m. This mm-hmm. is my bedroom. And Raider is in the closet going, yeah, get out of here. Come on, man. No means no. Let me kill this woman. Mm-hmm. Raider crept out of the closet, flicked on the bathroom light, and then pounced on Marine in bed, manually choking the 100-pound woman to death. Yeah. He, yeah. He dragged the body in the bedding to her car and put her in the trunk. Okay. Raider drove directly to his church where he had the keys to the building. He entered the building through the basement where he taped black plastic over the basement windows so no one could see inside. He then dragged the body into the basement and photographed it in various poses. Nice. Yeah. Nice. This is all pretty bold. It's like yes. right in your he's, neighborhood. He's, you go to your church with the body. And use your own keys to go in. Like you didn't He is officially broken. being emboldened. Yeah. Yeah. After some time, Raider returned the body to the car trunk and left. He found a dumping place in a ditch along a dirt road several miles outside of town and semi-concealed the body under some trimmings. Mm-hmm. At one point, Raider had dropped the car key onto the dashboard and the key slid down and wedged under the windshield. He oh. had to use a rock to smash a corner of the windshield to retrieve the key. Oh, no. Uh, like this guy, There's well. so many close calls. Like yeah. If he hadn't been able to drive away from there and he's like way out in a country road with a body in a ditch in the car yeah. and he would have been like hitchhiking out of there, probably would have led to his capture. God, he's just like... By now it was getting... God must love him. <laughs> yes. He or... is a member of the church after all. There yep. you go. Ask for forgiveness, right? Isn't that uh, church tenant? Sure. By now it was getting light and Raider made his way back to where he had left his car. He parked Marine's car there after wiping it down for fingerprints and returned to the scout camp he had deserted earlier in the day. Hmm. He was never connected to this crime until some 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yep. So killing a neighbor, dumping her body... Way out and taking photos of it in the church basement. Yeah. He's bold. The next year, 
1986. Uh-huh. Raider had set his eye on Vicky Wagerly. Wagerly? Wagerly. Yeah, I think Wagerl. so. Wagerl. Wagerl. I think Wagerly mm-hmm. is probably. Wagerly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A 28-year-old mother of two. He could hear her play the piano as he walked by her house. Mm-hmm. Oh. So that's uh, all you listeners out there, stop playing pianos immediately. Yes. They lure in serial killers. She was like, uh, she was like one of those uh, snake charmers, only with a piano. And it was a serial killer Calling charmer. Like the serial killer. Yeah. To charm. To, yeah, that's what happens. On September 16th, he took some time out for a PJ. Pajamas? Or what, I he, don't... what he called a project. Ah, that was his nickname for a project. Yeah. You uh, know, PJ. He called his murder prospects a PJ. Well, project, PJ. A project. He's bad at grammar and spelling. Uh, and also, PJ is not any shorter than project. I was They're about both to say two the same syllables. Thing. Yeah. He just called a proj. Yeah. yeah. There, yeah you there you go. That would have been an actual time saver. <laughs> what a dummy. Or just gig. I got uh-huh. a gig. Around 10 a.m., he showed up dressed like a telephone repairman. How <laughs> <laughs> awesome would it have been if he showed up like a handset receiver? Ring. <laughs> Ring. I'm here to kill you. He convinced Vicky to let him inside the home to check the phone lines. Okay. He fiddled with her phone for an imp- with an improvised testing gadget, mm-hmm. probably a PKE meter from the Ghostbusters, yeah. and then informed her she was going to be tied up. Okay. Yeah, you got some interference in the line here. I'm going to have to tie you up to fix it. <laughs> yeah. Go get me some more phone cord. Well, he was being chased by the Ghostbusters, so, yeah. you know. At gunpoint, he forced her into a bedroom and attempted to tie her up, but she fought with him and scratched him in the process. Mm-hmm. Raider prevailed in the physical fight and secured her with ropes, then proceeded to strangle her to death using pantyhose. He photographed the dying woman in a few poses and hastily left in her car, taking her driver's license as a memento. Mm-hmm. Vicky had warned him that her husband would be arriving home shortly. Raider later stated that had the husband come home, he would have been killed also. Mm. Well, I mean, he has shown well, up yeah, with the Otero. Yep. That, that, He'd have tried anyway. Yeah, yeah. Bill Wegerly indeed came home soon afterward. And even saw his own car going in the opposite direction away from the house. What? Oh, man. He literally saw... Oh, can you even imagine being that guy? Like, five seconds later, you realize that the person yeah. who killed your wife, you just, just saw the back of his head. Yeah. yeah. Another, like, super close call. Mm. He couldn't identify the driver, but it didn't appear to be Vicky. Uh, yeah. His two-year-old son, Brandon, was still in the living room unattended. Bill couldn't find Vicky at first, who was on the bedroom floor behind the bed. She was rushed to the hospital where they tried to revive her, but was pronounced dead a short time. BTK, meanwhile, wow. had driven around the city disposing of evidence, then returned to the area near the house and parked the Wegerly's car a couple of blocks from their home. He exited the area on foot and, was retur- and returned to his own car nearby. Changing clothes, he escaped all detection for the crime and was never suspected of it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I can't, can you even believe being the husband... Realizing, no. like, for the rest of your life, you got that, I saw the guy. The guy yeah. was, have, like, driving away from me. Well, and a, just even you have your normal expectation of how your life works and, you know, okay, we got a two-year-old son and I got my job and my wife's at home and things are good and we're working through things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, click, not anymore. Well, you know, the problem is he probably thought it was his wife like going to the grocery store or something yeah. like that. And then he rolls into the house and realizes the two-year-old kid is sitting in front of the TV and yeah. going, 
wait a minute, something's odd here. Kind of yeah. starts wandering around. Yeah. And then two and two together. And right? then it then it dawns on you and your entire life is fucked. Yeah. And yeah. then he was faced with a hostile and skeptical police in public who never seemed satisfied that he was innocent for this crime. Oh, man. Oh, and of then course. of course everyone thinks that you did it. Yeah. His of dark cloud course. of suspicion hung over him for the next 18 years. Oh, yeah, and think of how false that sounds when you roll up and like, no, seriously, I saw the car driving away. Just go looking for the car. The guy was like, somebody was driving the car. It must have yeah. been like, sure, likely story, buddy. And then it's yeah. two blocks away. Yeah, it's two blocks away. You're like, okay, you drove the car around the block to yeah. make it look like somebody had done this oh brutal yeah <sighs> ruining lives this all is over a great Kansas. this is a wonderful positive episode well it you know it sort of fits uh fits firmly under no, the evil dudes in history yeah it's been a while since we've done a serial killer i thought it was about time it's no because we hate them but yeah mm-hmm. no i love the episodes <laughs> don't get me wrong i absolutely agree we should be doing this but mm-hmm. these ones are always such bummers at the end of 1987, another notorious family murder occurred in Wichita. Three members of the Fager family, the father, Philip, and his two teenage daughters were killed. A contractor who had worked for the Fagers was arrested in Florida after leaving the murder scene in the Fager car and using a credit card stolen from them. Okay. He was eventually acquitted by a jury due to a lack of physical evidence, but the police remained satisfied that he was the murderer. Oh. In early 1988, a letter was received by Mrs. Fager from BTK. Ah. Uh, all right. Who stated he did not do the crime, but admired the work of the man who did. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So he starts mocking the victims of other crimes. Right. Mm-hmm. This was never confirmed as a genuine BTK communication until police found a copy of the original letter in Raider's stash 17 years later. Okay. He also had his own illustration of what he thought had happened that day to one of the girls, but it was not accurate to the real crime scene. We have this uh, photo. Uh, we have a photo of this image, mm-hmm. uh, which we will post to the website, causedicksodapodcast.com. There are going to be a lot of images uh, from this story. Yeah. There was some incredibly graphic stuff, and I don't think we're going to post those images, but we're going to put links to them in case you want to see actual crime scene photos or autopsy photos or morgue photos, because all that stuff is available on the internet. And if you have a morbid sense of curiosity, you might want to check it out, but I've seen them all, and it's pretty awful. Yeah. As an artist. Mm. Oh, yeah? This is not a terrible drawing. I was thinking the same thing. It's like, you know, it's not great, but he's got the perspective going on. He's got an anatomy. From what I can see, it's kind of blurry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's, I've certainly seen far worse. Yeah. The legs look like legs. Well, he also did stuff. He would take uh, magazine ads with like models in them and he would Mm. take tracing paper and Uh. trace the models out of the magazine ad. And then on his own paper, he would put them in and he would bind them up and then put blindfolds on them and gags in their mouth. So he would draw over top of that. His own version of kinky photoshopping. Yeah, kinky photoshopping from the 70s, exactly. Uh, Raider was into another PJ in January 1991. Pajamas. Yeah, I refuse to accept that as a term for project. Uh, Now 45 years old, he was wary of younger women or where there might be a male present, so he saw older women as a more desirable target. Uh, Raider focused on an older woman that lived alone, 62-year-old Dolores Davis. She only lived a mile and a half from his home. Using the pretext of being away for the weekend on a scout camping trip, he again invented an excuse to slip away from camp in the evening, drove to his parents' house, who were away that weekend, and changed into his hit clothes. Oh, the hit clothes. Mm-hmm. A supervillain costume. Yes, absolutely. 
Uh, yeah, this is a, it, it, it was that's where uh, Hit Girl got her wardrobe from. Mm-hmm. It was inspired by BTK. Dennis Rader's Hit Clothes. Uh, Rader then drove to the Baptist Church, parked his car, and set out on foot for the Davis residence. When he got there, Dolores was still awake and reading in bed. He waited outside in freezing temperatures for her to finally turn off the light and go to sleep. Using a cement block taken from a shed in the backyard, he rammed the sliding glass door open at the rear of the house. Dolores came out of her room thinking someone had driven a car into the side of her house. Awesome. Yeah. He used the familiar line of being a vagrant and needed food, money, and a car and told her he had to tie her up. There are indications from the crime scene that a struggle did take place, but Raider ultimately succeeded in tying her up in her bedroom. It's not known how long Raider lingered there, but Dolores told him she was expecting someone to arrive any minute, so he ended her life by ligature strangulation. Raider made a sketch of her final moments at a time soon after this murder. And uh, we have that sketch as well. Gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raider dragged the body outside, put it in the trunk of her car, and he drove a short distance to a lake area near I-135 and left the body and other evidence there under some trees. He drove the car back to the Davis house, wiped it down for fingerprints, tossed the keys onto the roof, and then set out on foot, walking in a roundabout fashion back to the Baptist church. Driving his own car, he returned to where he left the body and put it in his car. Weird. Yeah. So you dump a body, leave it in a park, and then bring the car back. I mean, obviously, all this stuff worked because he's, like, not getting caught, mm-hmm. right? You know, so it's hard to critique. But it does seem strange. <laughs> it does seem strange that you would take the body and put it in your own car, thereby leaving evidence in your car where none had previously existed. It's not what you would find in a screenplay for a uh, No, a for a serial killer. Yeah. But it almost does feel like this idiocy might have covered his tracks because it gets complicated. You're like, wait a minute, why would he drive in this yeah. car and dump the body here, but then pick it up in a different car. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you watch any of these like cop shows or the first 48 or whatever, most criminals act in a pretty linear fashion. Yeah, that's Like, it's thinking. just sort of like when you see somebody leaving a car and the car gets dumped, they don't expect people to, you know, have second cars and like all this sort of double blind and change the clothes and move the body. And I mean, it just generally isn't done, right? But- He's a little more calculating than your average, like, crime of passion or something like that. Uh, he settled on a remote spot underneath a bridge as the final dumping spot. After leaving her there, he changed back into his scout uniform and returned to camp. The following night, he left camp again to come back to the dumping spot so he could pose and photograph the body. He had an encounter with a police officer while he was changing clothes, but was let go after a few questions. Sure. It's not illegal to change your clothes? No. In a, in a park? Nope. Nope. With a body nearby? No, oh, wait, curious. maybe he didn't see the body. Soon after the murder, Raider took a photo of himself buried in a grave. He says he had dug for Dolores Davis wearing a mask and using a Polaroid camera activated with a mechani- mechanism triggered via cord. And oh, we've wow. got this photo. Wow. Dude is, yeah. Oh, Mike wants to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a pretty sick puppy. There's some sick shit going on. Yeah. Raider had stalked two other women in the 80s and one in the mid-90s. They all filed restraining orders against him. Oh, one of these women had a very disturbing story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no problem until after she got divorced and a new male friend came to live with her. As a compliance officer, Raider kept issuing citation after citation for, amongst other things, items as trivial as having the wrong color garden hose. She just kept writing her tickets. <laughs> Where in the manual does it say you have to have a certain color of garden hose? Hey, Wichita is very particular All right. about their garden hoses, evidently. And the stripes are going the wrong way. He didn't like the inoperable vehicle in the driveway the male friend was working on. Made it clear to the woman that if her male friend left, 
these problems would cease. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That is disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Just really trying to set her up, obviously. Raider started looking in her windows and one day was found examining a door that had been mysteriously broken. It all culminated when Raider impounded her daughter's dog and had it put to sleep before anyone could reclaim it. Right. The lady immediately moved out of Park City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, smart move. Mm-hmm. Real smart move. So then he kind of uh, he dropped off the radar. Dropped right? off the face oh. of the planet. When right. was his last... Um... His last murder was 1991, right? but nobody even knew that it was a BTK murder. Right. In fact, at this point, as of the mid-90s, they thought that the last BTK contact was in 1979 when he sent the letter to, uh, what's her name, saying, hey, why didn't you appear? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. The, and the poem. The poem. Yeah. Where, oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? Where were you when I wanted to kill you? Yes. Yeah. That, according to the authorities, that's the last official BTK sighting mm-hmm. at this point, not knowing that he had committed a murder in 85, 86, and 91. Yeah. So in 2004, a Wichita lawyer named Robert Beatty was concerned that the BTK case was being all but forgotten, and he set out to write a book about the elusive killer, who he still thought was a potential threat, right. even though the last known murder had occurred in 1977. Beatty was responsible for renewed interest in the BTK case. January 2004 was the 30th anniversary of the Otero murders, and the Wichita Eagle ran an article about the crime and the BTK killer. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. You know, you got this. I actually remember- Happy anniversary. I remember back in the 90s, uh, many of my- I had lots of roommates, and a bunch of my roommates liked, you know, Details Magazine and GQ and all these, like, Esquire, all the men's magazines. Are always, there was always a bunch of them, like, kind of sitting on the coffee table and in the bathroom, bathroom reading. And one of the articles- from like the mid '90s was the top five uh, at large serial killers. Okay, right. And number two was Zodiac, and number one on the list was BTK. Mm. I remember that article distinctly. He got what he wanted. He yeah, got the notoriety. Evidently, evidently yeah. not enough, though. Congrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, these events captured Dennis Rader's attention. He was alarmed that someone else would be telling his story, and suddenly his plans for a re-emergence were greatly accelerated. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write the book about the BTK. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's not... Not, it's not this BD guy. Yeah, it's not UTK. It's BTK. Beedy, beedy, beedy. <laughs> Raider would later admit that he had set a date to kill again at the time he was caught, October 2005, and had already started stalking his intended victim. Ooh, the pre-kill yeah. information. Yeah, nice. On March 17th, 2004, he mailed an envelope to the Wichita Eagle from, quote, Bill Thomas Killman. Uh, Bill kill- Thomas Killman? Yeah. <laughs> I get it. BTK. It's kind of hitting the nail on the head, don't yeah. you think? It's a little obvious. Oh, that's, no, that's, like I mean, it's, that's Riddler quality stuff. Is it? Really? <laughs> Is it? Which contained photocopies of his photos of the dying Vicky Wegerly and a photocopy of her missing driver's license. Uh, the, so that would uh, that's his bona fides. Yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't make any... Uh, that's right. He signed it with the BTK symbol he had used in his previous letters. The letter was forwarded to the FBI, who confirmed its authenticity as a BTK communication. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. All right. So he's back on the map. Yeah. In they May- haven't heard from, so this is 2004. Yep. So they haven't heard Bubkiss from him, as far as they can tell, since 1979. Yes. And now, so this is 25 years later. Yes. All right. In May, a word puzzle was received by the television station KAKE. Oh, now he really is the Riddler. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> On June 9th, a package was found taped to a stop sign at the corner of First and Kansas containing graphic descriptions of the Otero murders and a sketch labeled, The Sexual Thrill is My Bill. Mm. <laughs> 
He's mm. such a poet. <laughs> he did his one of his suggested uh, aliases was the poetic strangler. Yes, I'm just. A but then bill we found out that all he did sexual was sexual thrill. Oh wow, oh. that's a different, a really different take on that animated classic. <laughs> we all, but we found out that the way he did his poetry was to take stuff from intro poetry courses and just base his poems on the poems mm. in there. Yeah. yeah, total total hack. Also enclosed was a chapter list for a proposed book titled The BTK Story, which mimicked a story written in 1999 by writer David Lore. God. He's a total copycat. He's a plagiarist. Yeah. He's a plagiarist. But This is a guy like the Shia LaBeouf of uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. serial killers. There, there you, there you go. go. In July, a package was dropped into the return slot at the downtown public library containing more bizarre material and a worrisome message. I'm going to try and do this as dumb as possible because okay. this guy seems as dumb as possible. Mm-hmm. I have spotted a female that I think lives alone and or is a spotted latchkey kid. Spotted latchkey. Yeah. Mm. Is, the, is that the greater spotted latchkey or the <laughs> yes. lesser spotted latchkey? <laughs> I wonder if he's trying to actually say a different word yeah. uh, and just can't spell it. Maybe. So that it actually ends up spelled like an, another word entirely. Just got to work out the details. I'm much older, not feeble now, <laughs> and have to conditions myself carefully. Also, my thinking process is not as sharp as it uses to be. I think fall mm-hmm. or winter would be just about right for the HIT. For the hit, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's hit. Got to do it this year or next. Time is running out for me. Ooh, prophetic. Mm. Yeah, he's a... Uh, hmm. He's, he's, he's putting the fear, he wants to he wants to get the, them whipped up into a frenzy again. I'm going to do it, but I'm getting older, so, yeah. you know. Back in his ADT days when they would like put in security systems to get off BTK right. and he could like, kind of get a thrill out of it. Mm-hmm. This same package contained a claim that BTK had engineered the recent death of a 19-year-old from Argonia, Kansas, named Jake Allen. Allen had committed suicide by lying on railroad tracks 12 days earlier. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. BTK claims to have lured the young man to his death via a series of computer chats. This claim was later disproven as a hoax, as there was no evidence that Alan had ever had any such internet chat with anyone, and his death is still seen as a suicide. So, claiming other tragedies. So he he's a he's a plagiarist. He copies poetry and chapter lists, and he lies about luring people to their. Death. So he's a Renaissance killer. Uh, yeah, okay. really, like covers a wide swath. It's like go. the Rembrandt of uh, of Rem- Braggadocio. Rembrandt was a total copycat. No, no, in that he had a lot of different interests. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. In October 2004, a manila envelope was dropped into a UPS box, which consisted of an assortment of cards with images pasted on them, including one of a bound woman with a look of sheer terror on her face. One card had a poem called "Death to Landwehr" written on it. L a n d w e h r a reference to Lieutenant Ken Landwehr, head of the BTK investigation. Ah, oh. oh. so he's, uh, now this is this is from a movie, right? You know, you're taunting the cop who's yeah. coming after you? Yep. All right, so he's, Batman, as the he's, case may he's be. writing his own screenplay in his head, I get it. There was also a collage of children with bindings drawn across their bodies and faces. Mm-hmm. This envelope also contained what BTK claimed to be his autobiography, listing a number of details about his life. He claimed he was born in 1939, that his father died in the war, and that his mother dated a railroad detective. Oh, a railroad detective. Mm. Yeah. He claimed to be fascinated with railroads as a result and usually lived near railroad tracks. This was all false, an Mm -hmm. attempt to mislead police into researching false leads. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. What the Wichita Police Department was actually doing was following the FBI's advice. Keep the killer communicating. Don't offend him publicly. Don't overexcite him into killing some more. Just keep communicating until he makes a mistake. Yeah. All right. That's good tactics. Yep. I mean, that's... 
So I well, honestly, I don't think the police have really done anything wrong in no? this case. No. They kind of did all the right stuff. It's just serial killer. What it's, are you going to do? Yeah, and he doesn't seem to hit that often. And it's like, sure, you have his DNA with the semen and the and and the rest of it, but but what I mean, but, to? but I mean, DNA in the seventies and eighties isn't going to get you anywhere. And this yep. guy's not in a database because he's not a career criminal, right? Raider's sixth drop was found on December fourteenth. A man walking through Murdoch Park found a package wrapped in white plastic leaning against a tree, so he took it home with him and opened it. Oh, uh, hold on a second. Who around this table, if you find a I package would. wiped in, wrapped in white plastic? Would sure. just take it home and open it. Uh, first thing I do, probably. I would not even look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just go garbage. Just move on. Right? <laughs> I'd, I'd think somebody might have left it. Maybe I got to open it and see what it is. I so would. I, I would honestly. It. I would think it was. Oh, there's somebody's weird art project mm. that they're right. trying to do. Put on the internet or something. If you go down, it, there's actually a photo of this. Uh, this this white plastic oh, okay. thing right there. Oh, would you uh, take that home with you? Okay, no. <laughs> That is a doll's head. Yeah. It contained a PJ doll. The doll's head had a plastic bag tied over it. Its hands were tied behind its back, and its feet were bound together. Tied to the feet was Nancy Fox's driver's license, whom he had killed in December 1977. Oh, yeah. 27 so, years earlier. Again, little bona fides. Now, we're going to post a picture of this doll on 17. the website, com. I think it's kind of horrifying, so I probably wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah. It's kind of horrifying. The man immediately notified KAKE-TV, who photographed the contents and notified police. KAKE agreed not to broadcast what was found in the package for fear of arousing the killer. Mm. Not in the habit of picking up anything that is on the street, yeah. in the park. Much less mm. something that's horrifying. Yeah, it's good. That, like, yeah. just, you know, pretty objectively, you look at that and go, I'm creeped the fuck out by well, that. Well, I'm guessing that doll was inside the package. Like, that's that you couldn't see that that doll, even though that has white, plastic around the doll's mm-hmm. head they said that the package was wrapped right. in white okay. plastic so right. i'm gonna guess the doll was inside that one right. time i saw like a 20 inch uh tendril action figure from the inhumanoids uh-huh. cartoon oh, yeah? on someone's lawn no one was around still didn't take it well it was on <laughs> totally. somebody's lawn i totally wanted it what <laughs> if it was in the park like you're the, walking through the park no and there it is leaning against a tree like this isn't mine i want it but it's okay. not mine <laughs> <laughs> On January 8th, 2005, Raider left a Special K cereal box marked BTK and Bomb at a Home Depot in the bed of an employee's pickup truck. The employee thought it was trash and put it in the garbage at home. Luckily, his wife had thrown a discarded pillow on top of the box, unwittingly preserving it. Preserving the box? The, the box, the yeah. Okay. Yeah, because then other Rather garbage than putting didn't... garbage on top. Yeah, right. I was like, we mummified it. <laughs> a little bit. You kind of like, you're like a, you stratified, you <laughs> right, know? Like right, it's, okay. This is like the tar sands or whatever, right. the, uh, the La Brea tar pits. The box was later retrieved after Raider himself asked what had become of it in a later message. Police reviewed surveillance tape of the parking lot and police finally had their first glimpse of BTK. Ah. Uh-huh. The image was too far away and blurry for positive identification, but by measuring the wheelbase of the black vehicle he was driving, it was determined that he had a Jeep Cherokee. Hmm. Oh, another little good piece of police work right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. You know, these guys aren't too bad. Nope. The box itself contained information about some of his PJs, or projects, intended victims that he had watched or stalked. It also contained more misleading information, how he lived in a three-story home with an elevator, that he had a bomb in the basement rigged to explode if the house were invaded. Uh-huh. So this guy had seen crash. Or, sorry, he had seen speed. I, I guess, yeah. Oh, if his house goes below a certain speed, it'll blow up? No, no, no. The, the Dennis Hopper oh, uh, yes. rigs his house to blow up oh, when they right. raid his house. So he really liked Speed. So now we know serial killers, fans of the movie Speed. Also, that that character was far more intelligent than this guy, I would think. I think to stop serial killers, we should stop making movies. 
There you go. Oh. that Yeah, there were no serial killers before movies, right? <laughs> Raider also asked a peculiar question to the detectives. If he put his writings on a computer disc, would it be traceable? He requested a response to be posted in the Wichita Eagles classified ads in the miscellaneous category using his code name Rex. I like that we've actually got a photo of the actual communication, yeah. which is supposed to probably say communication, but the but head... Communication. Yeah. Communication. Can I communicate with Floppy and not be traced to a computer? Be, be honest. honest. <laughs> Under miscellaneous section 494, Rex, it will be okay. Run it for a few days in case I'm out of town, etc. I will try a floppy for a test run sometime in the near future, February or March. There you go. Okay. All right. So he's asking the cops yeah. for advice. He yeah. did say be honest. Yes. And I'm pretty sure yeah. under the rules of entrapment, <laughs> yes. you have to say if that... If, when, when the guy if says you're be a honest, cop and somebody says be honest, the cop can't lie. That's yeah. right. Oh, that's unless right. you say at the end, just kidding. Yeah, that's right. right. Or, or if they, they can't have their fingers crossed, crossed behind, behind their, their backs. backs. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The All eighth right. drop was another cereal box discovered on January 25th, 2005, as a result of a tip from drop number nine, a postcard sent to KAKE from an S. Killet, and used the address of the Otero house as its return address. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. a little inside information. Hey, uh, you know what we do know about all these? BTK is very regular gastrointestinally. I mean, yeah. he's going through a lot of cereal. Oh, fiber. Yes. Right? Yeah, like every couple of weeks, dropping a box, right? <laughs> dropping a box. Mm-hmm. Drop number nine mentioned the Post Toasties box and the Drop at Home Depot on January 8th, which triggered the investigation there that ultimately located the Special K box. Mm-hmm. The Post Toasties- Sponsored by General <laughs> oh, Mills. Oh, I wonder how happy that they were that this like ended up in the press not, eventually. That, uh, not hey, happy. Hey, Special K- uh, any press is good. Any press is good. Press, yep. right? Nope, good enough for not, BTK. That's not good true. enough for your family. Oh, yeah. yeah. Post Toasties, <laughs> killer flavor. Or BT yeah. BT Special K. BT Special mm-hmm. K. I like that. Mm-hmm. We put the Special K in, in BTK. BTK. <laughs> the Post Toasties box was found leaning against a road sign in a desolate, unpaved section north of the Wichita city limits. KAKE videotaped the box without touching it and notified police. It had a brick on top of it and appeared weathered. It was later revealed to have contained another doll, this one with a rope tied around its neck and tied to a plumbing fixture simulating the hanging of Josephine Otero. Oh, wow. Oh, it's like a little, nice. Yeah, he's recreating it all. Yeah. Voodoo doll style. Mm-hmm. Weird. The 10th drop was another postcard that arrived on February 3rd, again sent to KAKE. Return address was Hap Kakaman, a 1950s character from KAKE's past. Oh, like he like introed like a kid's show or something yeah. maybe? Was it Hap Cakeman? Yeah. Hap Cakeman. Yeah, from Cake TV. K-A-K-E-M-A-N-N. Mm-hmm. Raider wrote, thank you for your quick response on number seven and eight. Thanks to the news team for their efforts. Sorry about Susan's and Jeff's colds. I think Susan and Jeff were Probably the, uh, the anchors, anchors on the news. Yeah. yeah. Business issues. Tell WPD that I received newspaper tip for a go. Test run soon. Thanks. P.S. May want to use KTV, PC, etc. code number and letters from me for my verification code to you. What does that mean? He was referring to the newspaper ad placed in the Wichita Eagle by detectives to answer his question about the safety of sending in a computer disk. Rex, it will be okay. Mm-hmm. Drop number 11 arrived at the studios of KSAS-TV on February 16th, which contained a letter, a piece of jewelry, and a purple diskette referred to as Test Floppy for WPD Review. It was just a test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, what can, what can go wrong of a test? 
right? Nothing can go wrong with a test drive of anything. Detectives wasted little time analyzing the diskette and found metadata on it from Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita and the name Dennis associated with the file. Uh Oh, (laughs) (laughs) a quick Internet search brought up a website for the church, which mentions its current president, Dennis Rader. Mm-hmm. Did he get off when when, when uh, he was? He did get off on the legs of his victims. But <laughs> did he get off because he said, "Nope, the police lied to me about my about yeah. the disc oh, thing." The be honest the defense, disc. and they're yeah. like, "Ah, yeah. yeah. we crossed our fingers." It's totally backs. inadmissible. Yeah, we had our we fingers have to throw crossed. Throw the trial out, <clears throat> Your Honor. We clearly <laughs> had our fingers behind our backs. Uh-huh. Uh, a group of detectives quietly drove by Raider's house in Park City and noted a black Jeep Cherokee parked in the driveway. Can you oh, imagine how excited they'd be? Oh my God! That's uh, that's called two years. plus yeah. two equals four, right there. Raider was placed under surveillance while a subpoena was secretly obtained for a DNA sample from a pap smear Raider's daughter had taken at the Kansas State University Medical Clinic oh. while she was a student there. Uh-huh. The familial DNA was a match to DNA found from semen at several BTK crime scenes and scrapings from under the fingernails of Vicki Weggerly's left hand, eliminating any doubt that he was BTK. Wait a minute. Raider had a daughter? Yeah. Yeah. And a wife. Yeah. On February 25th, 2005, Raider was driving home when he noticed he was totally surrounded by police. He surrendered quietly. Believe me, that monster is for real. So we left off before the break with Dennis Rader getting arrested outside his home. And then he escaped, and he's been on the loose ever since. Block your doors. Look out. He's right behind you. Uh, No, that's not what happened. 
once in handcuffs, he was asked by one of the officers, uh, Mr. Raider, do you know why you're being arrested? To which he responded, oh, I have my suspicions. Why? Yeah, I don't think he said it. That, oh, I have my suspicions. Why? <laughs> this guy's dumb. <clears throat> At first, Listen. Raider wouldn't talk much about the crimes, playing dumb or avoiding playing the subject. Playing dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when he was confronted about the trace computer disk and the DNA match, he started to talk. Uh, In fact, he wouldn't stop talking. Oh. In a stunning 30... Chatty In a stunning 30-hour confession, he rambled endlessly about his crimes, proudly reciting his achievements. Some poetry. And never before known details of his crimes, his methods, and his mindset all came to light. So all the stuff we were talking about the crimes, most of that wasn't actually deduced by the investigators. Right. It was actually provided to them by Raider, which is how they know so much intimate detail about how the all the events played out. Hmm. He stated he chose to resurface in 2004 because he wanted the opportunity to tell his story his own way, which we already talked about. Right. He also said he was bored because his children had grown up and he had more time on his hands with the kids out of the house. Okay. So oh, was, kids, so he had more than one daughter. Yes. Yeah. He was astonished when he found out the detectives had lied to him about being safe to send the computer disk and lamented about his good rapport with Lieutenant Landwehr, God. who had to explain to him during the interrogation that they had to do whatever necessary to catch a serial killer. Not her system. It Out was, the window when it comes to the police. It was, uh... Don't yeah, he, trust the police. <laughs> That's one thing I'm taking away from uh, this episode. Yeah. yeah. Not even the be honest defense doesn't work. <laughs> Raider's house and office were raided or Raiderid. Raiderid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And plenty of incriminating evidence was found. The mother load was located in Raider's office filing cabinet at City Hall. What? Wait, what? Huh? He, he had a filing cabinet in his because he's a, a county commissioner or whatever, a compliance officer. Okay. So he's got an office and right. a filing cabinet with a lock on it. And oh. inside that filing cabinet was a mountain of evidence. Wow. And his workplace. So okay. all that somebody needed to do was go, oh, hey, I, I need to find that file. Dennis is out on holidays. Somebody just go into his filing cabinet and get that for me. But that didn't happen. Nope. Apparently this woman had the wrong color garden hose. <laughs> yeah. Gotta look that up. We gotta get a file on that. Um, I think if that lady complained, <clears throat> complained a little more uh-huh. about her dog, maybe something would have happened. Yeah. Well, she wasn't around to complain because she moved out of Wichita after the harassment. Right yeah. Now. I think what we should do is anybody who kills people's dogs and they complain about it, you should go through all of their files. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we've learned from this. Uh, inside the filing cabinet, they found original copies of BTK letters, victims' driver's licenses, photos, newspaper clippings, and artwork. Wow. One of the most bizarre elements of this collection was his obsession with self-bondage. Detectives found a number of photos Raider taken of himself tied up in various ways. He was also fond in these pictures of dressing up in items stolen from his female victims. Right. Using a Polaroid camera and a tripping mechanism, he took many photos of himself in these ways. I've got lots of these photos that we're going to post on the website. I want to see one right now. uh, Joe, they're the ones right at the top. I would think it's uh, challenging. There you go. Here's one. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he... Oh, oh, here's some more. You tie yourself up and then take a photograph of yourself. That's that's challenging. Oh, there he is in a in a grave covered in plastic. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, now he's naked in these ones. But oh. he looks like it looks like he's naked, like out in a park, mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Somebody could have easily, you know, stumbled across him. How do you like the one where he's dressed up like a clown on the right there? Is it a clown or is it just like over accentuated lady makeup? I think you're right. I think oh. that's what it is. That it's I. It's definitely like white. Uh, White clown makeup, but it looks like he's just trying to overdo the woman thing. Yeah. These are horrifying. Yeah. 
horrifying. And then here's some of his artwork, his drawings that he did of. Uh, uh, oh, it looks like he was he was creating his signature on this one. Oh yeah, trying some different logos. Oh, this one looks like a happy face. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's trying his different BTK logos. So yeah, he's awful. He could have been a good graphic designer. <laughs> really? No. Raider pled guilty to the murders on June 27, 2005, and gave a very graphic account of his crimes in court. In fact, there's a uh, uh, you can find all this the entire hour long testimonial on YouTube. Mm. Oh wow! So we can put a, a, a what, link 30, up to that the whole thirty hours. No, 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 not the not the confession. It, when he stands up in court and right. he says, "I did this and I did that," it's an right. hour long. They've got to bust it up into six ten minute parts on okay. YouTube. Mm. All right. So it's a one hour long where he stands up. Mm. And he's like completely deadpan through it all. Right, like just. I did this, and then I did this horrible thing, and yeah. this other horrible thing. Yeah, no cringing, no just like, yeah, I did this, and then I did that, and I killed this person, I did that, and blah, 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 for an hour, where he just recounts all of his crimes. It, on August 18th, 2005, he was sentenced to serve 10 consecutive life sentences. In total, Raider would be eligible for parole after 175 years of imprisonment. So he'd be like over 200 years old then. Oh, no, he's like, uh, in 2005, he was born in 1945, he's 60, he would be 235. Well, let's hope he's not immortal, because mm-hmm. then he can just get out and he can just walk. Yeah, that's right. Like a Highlander. <laughs> there could be only one Dennis Raider? Let's hope so. We can we can but hope. <clears throat> Each of the victim's families filed lawsuits against Raider seeking damages. There was little hope of recovering any monetary damages from him or his family, but the idea was to prevent Raider from profiting from his crimes in any way, yeah. such as by selling book, TV, or film rights to the story. Okay. Good, good. So that they have like a judgment against him, so any money that's made gets sent off to the victim's families. Right. I'm in favor of that. Yeah. Raider's wife and children refused to visit him in jail, and on July 26, 2005, his wife filed for an emergency divorce. <laughs> that's right the siren goes off no they they take you to the court in a in the divorce ambulance yeah yeah uh she cited physical and mental distress and her divorce was immediately granted raider agreed to give up ownership rights they to didn't even house. get like their proper paperwork they just said uh, they just grabbed the, a piece of paper this is a divorce sign the judge yeah there you go or they've got this just uh you know one of those giant cartoon style divorced stamps Right. Just like, you know. Approved. Yeah. Uh-huh. chunk Little used, but uh, when it is, it's done in pretty dramatic fashion. No, it was the emergency. They had to they had to smash the cage with a, the little, with a hammer, the <laughs> right. glass. To get the to stamp. To get the divorce, the emergency stamp. divorce yeah. stamp out. Uh, yeah, break in case of serial killer. Uh, Raider agreed to give up ownership rights to their house, as well as all of the belongings the couple co-owned, and she could collect the two pension funds he had access to. So, of okay. course, he did that because he had the judgment against him, yeah. so that... He would lose the house and his wife would lose it. Yeah. So by giving it up to her, yeah, it's yeah. to protect her. You know, I mean, it's not her fault she married this guy. I, well, kind of. There's no uh, reason to leave these I don't, people destitute. I don't know how good he was at hiding from. I don't know. But um, this is like my earlier comment. Like, can you imagine would they all just sit around and go, should I have known? Like, really, you know, I think about it. You know, were there signs? His his daughter. Oh, I kept getting cats, and then Daddy kept strangling them. I his, I, his sexual perversions must have at least leaked into the bedroom. Like, yeah, there must have been at least some bondage play going on. Not right, necessarily. But, right, well, not if he keeps it separate. Yeah, and like he walks out to the park, ties himself up, and then you know that's maybe if there was more bondage stuff happening in the bedroom. Yeah. 
I agree with that. I yeah. The maybe if he had some kind of safe outlet for this, it yeah. would have been. Mm-hmm. But I, who knows? Well, he did have his his uh, his self bondage, and that didn't seem to keep him from doing it. Nope. No. Yeah, because he self bondaged, and then like you know wore a bra that he stole from a woman after he strangled her to death. Yeah, and you can't really uh, share that part yeah. of your kink. That's with yeah, other that's people. that's hard to replicate in a uh, non-threatening uh, arena. Yeah. Soon after the divorce was granted, the family home at six two two zero Independence Street in Park City went up for auction. Appraised at fifty seven thousand dollars, a bidder offered ninety thousand. However, the house sale fell through over legal issues. Some of the victims' families objected to the inflated price, calling it blood money due to the notoriety of BTK. They demanded that any excess be granted to them and not to Paula uh, Raider. The bidder refused to pay unless the full price went to Mrs. Raider and later backed out of the deal. Why wouldn't you just buy it for 57000 then? No idea. Well, because the guy wanted her to get the extra t- right. uh, thirty-three. On October 12, 2005, a hearing was held at the prison regarding Raiders' privileges in jail. District Attorney Nola Fulston made the plea to Judge Greg Waller to deny drawing materials and access to any media. Oh, no. Stating that Raider has the ability to turn things like underwear ads into fantasies of bondage and torture. Right. Investigators have found a huge number of what Raider called slick ads, which had been altered by him into pictures of bondage and stashed away in his office at home. That's the tracing paper thing I was talking Mm -hmm. about. Slick ads. Yeah, that he would like outline trace he's the got a weird and... quirky name for all of us yeah yeah parts of his life yeah well he's been working on it for you know 30 years at this point right you know it's got a uh, pretty uh honed in fantasy world after the case was closed police looked into unsolved cases in cooperation with state police and the fbi in particular they focused on cases after 1994 when the death penalty was reinstated in kansas probably right. hoping that they would find right. one of them and then they could gas him or hang him or whatever they do in kansas Police in surrounding states such as Nebraska, Missouri, Colorado, Oklahoma, and Texas also investigated cold cases that fit Raiders' pattern. The FBI, Civil Air Patrol, and local jurisdictions at Raiders' former duty stations from his military years were also checked into unsolved cases. After exhaustive investigations, no other murders were attributed to Raider. So, so he had confessed to all the ones and he confessed more than they knew about. Yeah, he had like uh, um, in the 2004 missives, that's when they discovered about the 85, 86, and 91 murders. Right. They had no idea and that, that were him. And that guy that they thought the husband had done it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the, the, that was the 86 one. That was the Wiggly. In January 2007, the city of Park City bought the home where Dennis and Paula Rader had lived and turned raised their two a, children. And turned it into an amusement home. Well, not too far off the mark. Oh. The city tore the house down to improve access to a nearby small park. All right. Mm, so knocked it down. We've kind of had a couple of quotes from Raider littered throughout this uh, story, but the one that really jumped out to me was, I actually think I may be possessed with demons. Hmm. I was dropped on my head as a kid. Right. That's how it works. That's how mm-hmm. they get in. Yep. yep. You get dropped on your head as a kid, and then the demons squeeze in through the ear hole. <laughs> So pop culture, there's not an exhaustive list. I mean, like basically every single one of those kind of serial killer, uh, like archival shows, you know, like mm-hmm. that A and E has and history has, and, like on all these channels where yeah. they kind of have like that deep voiced narrator who goes over everything five fucking times. Yeah, that's right to like stretch it out to an hour. Next up, we'll see what the BTK killer did with his dolls. Yeah, and they they all like pretty much all those have one a BTK segment cuz you know, he's pretty awful and yep. then you can show the pictures and stuff like that and so there's some pretty salacious elements to this mm-hmm. and the fact that he went so long without being caught and he eventually got hoisted on his own floppy disk. Right, you know, yes. 
That and, uh, and uh, stupidity. I mean, yeah. that was 2004. You could have Googled for that information. Oh yeah, no. It's and it's kind of interesting actually when you see these shows that actually came out before 2004 when they're still saying he had seven victims. His last he in 1979. Why did he stop killing? Did he go to jail or mm-hmm. die or whatever? So you could kind of see that, and then knowing what happened after the fact. It's sort of, it's interesting to see it through that lens, right? So I watched a bunch of that stuff, but it all kind of hashes over some of the stuff that we already talked about and mm. some not of the stuff because they didn't know all the details because so they didn't have that confession, right? So I watched a lot of that television stuff, but uh, uh, and there aren't very many movies. Like there was a made-for-TV movie from 2005, and then there was a straight-to-video release in 2008, and, that's, and a documentary from 2010, but that's pretty much it. I watched the 2005 Hunt for the BTK Killer. Oh, the TV, TV movie. movie. Yeah. Oh, how was that? It was all right. Um, it was all focused on, like, they didn't show any of the murders or anything like that. It what? was all focused on. Wait, hold on a second. They have a movie about the BTK Killer, yeah. and they don't show any of the killings. No, I don't think they did. So what the hell was it about? It was all on that period after 2004 when the when the author came on the TV for an interview to talk about the book he was writing. Right, right. Okay. The BTK yep. killer. That uh, Beatty, the lawyer. Yeah. Yep. And then and then uh BTK seeing that on TV and then starting to send all the crazy shit that oh, he sent mm. to the So So it was all about the investigation all about that two thousand four. Everything that happened after that. For the eleven letter drop and like finding the box in the uh in the garbage and oh, okay. The hunt for the BTK killer. Exactly. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. But they didn't even like throw in any flashback scenes or anything like that. Like, I mean, they must have set up some context about like why they were looking for this guy. Well, the, it was interspersed with the, um, and they had the actor doing it, the mm-hmm. confessions. Ah, okay. From both the trial and the interview, uh, but mostly it focused on stuff from just him with his family and his workplace and the whole thing with the uh, with uh, the dog that he caught. And, and then had, and had, and had euthanized. euthanized like five. Basically, he gave, he told his assistant at the dog catcher to tell the lady when she came to pick up that she had to call him first before they would let the dog go. Right. And she had five days to do this. Mm. She was constantly calling him, but he just never picked up. And then ah. the dog was euthanized. Ah. So she came to his uh, door or whatever and spat in his face, and then that was the end of that. Okay, there you go. So that kind of stuff, like and stalking people, like like uh, measuring people's lawns and stuff like that, and hanging out in his van, and uh, it was it was relatively well done. It wasn't super great or anything, but it was yeah. kind of interesting, and it was very much like one of the safer to watch. You know, it, it wasn't salacious, as you say, like yeah. with lots mm. of gory, bloody <clears throat> pictures and stuff like so, that. Mostly, he would, when they were showing him doing like weird stuff, it was he was hanging out in a shed smelling underwear from someone he killed like 20 years ago and got looking it. at, looking at uh, driver's license and stuff. Like that. Underwear is like fine wines, right? They get vintage, right? <laughs> right. You know, so, like you keep them in storage until they uh, they turn into a wonderful bouquet mm-hmm. that you can only appreciate with the passage of time. I totally believe that you know that that is exactly true. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling. You know that we'll be back when the week is new, and we'll have.
have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being beaten to death with an axe handle. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Soda Podcast and email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, intrepid listeners, uh, we want to engage you in a uh, tell-a-friend campaign. Tell a friend. Mm-hmm. Tell two friends. Tell all your friends to tune into Caustic Soda. We're trying to get our listenership up, and uh, uh, you guys are out there to help us. So encourage people to check it out. Especially tell your friends who are squeamish. Yeah, those ones especially. <laughs> Imagine how fun that will be for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it as a personal challenge. <laughs> See how many friends you can lose. Test your <laughs> test your friends with caustic soda, won't you? <laughs>